All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Daily Dimensions podcast. As always, I am your host, Smitty, back with another one. Uh, I'm here joined by a special guest, uh, a great friend of mine, somebody who uh, is a great confidant, great at what they do, change their lives one, one, one person at a time. Uh, Sarah Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and um, Sarah's background, she is a social worker. All right. So she's saving lives one at a time, changing people's lives. And I, I, I wanted to bring her on the show. Actually, I'm going to be transparent. Gordon hit me up and was like, you ever thought about getting Sarah on the show? And I was like, <laughs> why did I not think about getting Sarah on the show? Mm-hmm. So. Here we are. Here, here we are doing this interview. I'm glad to have you. Um, and just a little bit about Sarah and I's relationship, right? So Bring many of the back. people I brought on here, I've met during my college days. I built a lot of lasting relationships during college days. And we met, so in my episode, Difficult, Not Impossible, I talked about my senior year of college, me being an RA, things was going crazy, yada, yada, yada. Um, and if you haven't heard it, double back, listen to that episode. I think it's, it's personally my favorite episode. But um, I met Sarah when I became an RA. And the interesting piece about it is we both had been at Westcon for the same amount of time, had the same exact major, and had never met each other. Never had classes with <laughs> one another. <laughs> and she's laughing now because... When we met, we were in RA training. It was hot. They had us wearing these Westcon t-shirts that I didn't like. It was a lot going on. It was a moment, indeed. Yeah. And um, she was like, what's your major? And I was like, social work. And she's like, no, you're lying. You're an imposter. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no way. I'm, I'm never... the friendliest. <laughs> Who's your advisor? What classes have you? And I, like, I had to verify who I was to Sarah. I needed to know because oh, it was a lot. <laughs> So, you know, I guess after getting my uh, my social work badge approved by Sarah uh, mm-hmm. being valid in the hood, you know, <laughs> we um we got close, man. We built a, a, a good we, we started off as just staff people. But then that whole year, unintentionally, because we obviously didn't know each other, we had the exact same class schedule, except for maybe one class. Right. Yeah. So we got to know each other quite well quite well and uh it, it has turned into a a, a friendship a, a bond a relationship that has lasted beyond college and you know here we are thank you for coming thank you for for being who you are not just in light but to me you know mm-hmm. thank you for that i appreciate that and who you are um one of the first things i want to dig into with this relationship with this uh interview with just everything like our bond together is how you've come so far in building your confidence as a professional (laughs) um like social work is it's a big profession there's a lot of weight on your shoulders Mm because you do so much but i want to i'm gonna let you share that story so like your first moment with us just like just building confidence as a professional and how that's grown Right. Because when we first met, and you know this very well, (laughs) not that I'm not awkward, uh, still awkward, but when we first met and we first started, I had very little confidence. I didn't like speaking in front of people or I had a lot of opinions, but I was never voicing them Mm -hmm. for other people to hear because I just took a step back and we had some very 
pronounced kids in our social work classes who definitely did they verbalized everything and they were so opinionated and I was a little bit more quiet and I kind of observed and watched and you knew that and so I think our first the first experience that I had to build confidence was this presentation you and I had to do (laughs) (laughs) and how do we have a group session and that scared everything out of me and I didn't know what to do and you knew that because I was so stressed about it (laughs) that's all I talked about and you said Sarah it's gonna be fine it's gonna relax which that's not really a word in my vocabulary (laughs) um we're still working on that but that's that was the first time that I was challenged and we did an amazing job I think we did the best in the class we really did we had (laughs) A solid lesson. We had jokes. It just flowed. Yeah. Um, which is also why I think you and I get along so well as friends is because we're so opposite sometimes that kind of just balances it out. Exactly. You're like Sarah. It's gonna be fine. And then I go in, and then we rock it out of the park. But yeah. That was that. But then professionally, after the adventure that was Westcon, kind of going into the social work field, you need to be confident when you're going into sessions and meeting with clients and kind of taking a stance in the situation mm. whatever that is and I went right into crisis work so I really needed oh, yeah. to threw you into the fire oh yes my, <laughs> my pants were burning like it was <laughs> from day one from the my second day at work I said oh this is what it's gonna be I need to get on this right now we mm. need to work on ourselves And it was to a point six months in my job and I wanted to quit. I thought it was too much for me. And I even I don't even know what self-care was at that point either. But yeah, going right into crisis work right out of school, I had no idea. And I went home and I said, Mom, I can't do this. Like, this is too (laughs) much. And well, you know, Viv. And she said, listen, you are my daughter. You got this. Let's go. You're going to go back in there and you're going to conquer it. And I said, "Okay, well. After that pep talk, let's let's try it out for six more months. And then long story short, five years later and here we are. Here you are. Yeah. You know, and it's it's I didn't even think about it that way, but it sounds like that support you got from our good friend Viv, from your mother, is the piece that kind of kept you going. So, like, speak to how important is it, especially in this profession, Mm -hmm. having supports for the person that supports everybody else? It is one of the most important pieces, and I feel not to be dramatic, but it can make or break you because Mm. in any type, in any line of social work, whether you're doing community-based, you're doing crisis, you're doing a little bit more clinical, you need that support when you get home because if you don't, oh, you're going to feel it. And (laughs) (laughs) it takes quite the toll on you, but uh, having a mom like mine it's just the best support that you can get. And mm. I give her so much credit, A, just finishing college and the support just to get there, step one. Yeah. And then two, to go into a field that is going to take a toll on you and you really need to work hard at it. And it's not going to come in two days. Like, you really need to yeah, work on that, work on you yourself. Really work at it. Yeah. So having her as just that foundation and having her set that example of confidence within herself and into me and moving forward, Mm. it's definitely made an impact on me professionally and personally. Look at you. (laughs) Listen. One thing, too, that um, 
I didn't always believe that they when they told us back at, at uh, WestCon during the program. What was her name? Sharon? With the red hair? Yep, Sharon, Sharon with the red hair. She used to always say, like, most of what you're going to learn is going to come after you get the degree. A thousand percent. And I didn't believe her. <laughs> I didn't always believe it. No. But then now that we're on the other side of this thing, it's like... I didn't really learn enough in college. All this money we've invested. <laughs> Everything we've spent. And it's like, I could learn this all on the job through the stress. Like <laughs> Exactly. And that was the first year when I was thrown in the fire. And yeah. I said, what did I learn in my bachelor's that's going to help me now? And mm. it was absolutely nothing. Not it's much. just, you have to go through it. And then even if you don't do it right, because there were situations I was in that I said, maybe this wasn't the best way to handle it. Yeah. But... Looking back, absolutely, and being able to own up to that and then learn from it. Yeah. Because there were, so even the first two years, how many lessons? So many, because you see every type of crisis out there. You see a little bit of everything. And I think the most important piece is your heart has to be in it, and you got to have the personality for it. Mm -hmm. Because you can probably attest to this. There are some people in the social work profession that should not be social workers <laughs> that should not give any personal advice no none life, whatsoever like none whatsoever but they find themselves with the, the license and, and the credentials and all those things mm-hmm. but um yeah it's just most of what you get comes from being in the field I, and for anyone who's in the social work field listening to this anyone who's thinking about getting into it or you're just in a, a helping profession in general mm-hmm. and you're lacking confidence or you're questioning if this is for you it's probably definitely for you you just have to stick with it long enough to see that it is absolutely because there's especially in the beginning you're gonna say what is going on yeah did that really just happen yeah mm, and you're looking around like in the office and it really happened And, and you see some sides of social work too that are like is this are we supposed to be doing like Mm-hmm. Is that ethical? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I, th- I remember my first social work job, like my first big boy job. Mm-hmm. And it was here in Bridgeport. I won't say the agency name, but I was a caseworker there. And we had this one client who came to us and he came to me from a different caseworker. So she had gotten fired. Mm-hmm. They had to spread her caseload out. She had like 70 people on her caseload, which for one is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they gave me this guy and when he came to us, he wasn't homeless. Then he became homeless and then he found a place. He came to us. All we had to do was get him approved and we we helped with like rent assistance. So if he had the the security deposit, we would mm-hmm. give him the first month's rent and then he'd right. be able to get it in there. Mm-hmm. You know, he just had to prove that he could pay for it. And he met, to me, my standards and the standards they told me to go by, he met every single qualification mm-hmm. so when they meet these you're supposed to do a review with your supervisor they yeah. approve it they cut the check blah 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 blah. everything is good so i do that and my supervisor denies this person and i'm like why are we denying him and yeah. it turns out that we didn't have any money in our budget to provide any of this to people like we couldn't provide any rent assistance Mm -hmm. we couldn't help with any uh utilities or anything like that because there was no money in the budget Mm -hmm. and they told us try and find ways to fix people's problems without money 
and just keep them here as long as you can until we can apply for this grant and maybe get some money and some people that you really think are high risk, we can help them out. And in my mind, I'm like 22, 23 years old at the time. And I'm like, this is some shit. <laughs> like, we're really lying to these people. So Right. Yeah, You're you supposed to be their support. And then you have these expectations and have no idea how we're going to meet that. Yeah. With what we're given. With what we're given. It's like you oh, have we're supposed to, to make it happen. You got to be a miracle worker. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So um, also with that, too, you know, outside of having to be a miracle worker in a profession and like you see some things that aren't necessarily the most ethical and, you know, you got to build confidence. And it's it's just a journey in general. But um, also, too, in a different episode, I spoke about how there was like a lack of diversity in um in the classes that we took. Do you see in your professional work now that there's that trend has continued or is it a little bit different on the other side of the college courses? I would say it's continued to be a struggle in some regards to diversity. And I know it also depends where you're working from, what's your catchment area. Mm -hmm. So when I started this job, I was working in Bridgeport. So there was, it was nice to see a little bit more diversity in the office and just the clients we were working with. But then once I transferred, to the New Milford area, it was a different ball game, uh, <laughs> a thousand percent. I won't say so much with the clients, but it, definitely the people that we were working with. And then it, mm. it kind of bleeds into the work as well, because you're working with clients that are so diverse and from all these different situations and family systems. And that is something that I've come from and I understand. But then working with a partner that may not understand may not that all the way, get it. No. And there and some partners I've had have been great in that they understand that and they understand that it's a different situation than where they're coming from and they're willing to learn and be empathetic and understand. But then there's other people that could care less and don't want to put their mm. heart in it, which does go back to the situation of is your heart in this profession? Yeah. You need to have yeah. the heart because that's ultimately what's going to drive you to success. It's not going to be the money. It's not. <laughs> There's definitely a lack of money. You're not going to get a praise. Yeah. We're not going to have this beautiful, you know, staff appreciation or anything like that. So mm. you need to do it for you and you wanting to help other people. Yeah. It's got to be something that fulfills you. I, I feel like if you're in this kind of profession just for the check, one, you've been severely misled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. Because <laughs> there is not this wellspring of money in this profession is definitely a profession you I feel like all social workers at any level you're underpaid right there's no at least not places I've been there's not OT or you know these bonuses at the yeah, end bonus must be nice must these be nice. <laughs> you know oh, man. company dinner you know? I'm just trying to have a lunch break between <laughs> sessions you know I'm just trying I'm to just grab trying a to coffee a little downtime just a quick meal Starbucks something, something. you're going up okay I was at Dunkin okay, uh, I'm going yeah, to Starbucks they got a drive through they both okay. good I'll but, um, the coupon <laughs> <laughs> oh man so. But, but it's um, true. I wish there was a little bit more diversity. And especially when I will say there was a difference from our bachelors going into masters. There was a, a shift when I went back from my masters. Those classes were diverse in culturally diverse. And I would say also in regards to age. Of, mm. It was nice to see people of all ages going back to get their masters and 
bringing those experience that they've had in the fields and bringing that to the classrooms because a lot of times you're with these kids that have never been in the fields and they're trying to answer these questions by textbook and it's like all right well in real life that's this not how, how this goes. goes yeah that's not that, how this goes absolutely not so i was glad to see at least a little bit of a shift mm. professionally moving forward but there was an OS gone <laughs> at least not when we were there. I can't attest to it now. I don't know what it looks like now. It's probably right. It's probably the same. Place. We're eighty five. It, it may... <laughs> it's, it's different now. <laughs> we're not that old. Don't wish okay. that on me, man. Yeah. But um, yeah, diversity. I think, especially in that profession, is is huge. Um, I'm a big believer that you, the staff, should reflect the population they work with in a way. You know, if you Absolutely. have. A lot of people who are like in inner cities that are troubled, that are, are black and brown minorities. Mm-hmm. And then to uh, very often, and this is nothing against white women, <laughs> <laughs> right. but in the social work profession, it's like 99% white women. And sometimes I know myself because when I was younger, like I had to be like, maybe like 15, I went to therapy and my therapist was a black woman. And that was comforting to me because it was like, okay, it felt mm-hmm. almost like I was talking to my mom. Right. And that I feel like that allowed me to be open and it allowed everything to actually work. Right. And when there's a lack of that, I feel like the ability for this treatment to work, for everything you're going through to work, like it just hinders that. I feel like it, it you spend more time trying to get comfortable with the person because you don't look like the person mm-hmm. than actually helping the person. Exactly. Have you seen any of that at all in your uh, your travels, friend? <laughs> Indeed. And it's something that I took because growing up, I grew up in two very different places. It was literally yeah. night and day because I grew up in the Bronx until I was 16 and then I came to New Fairfield, Connecticut for my senior year. So it was culture shock new fairfield is a very different very different um it was an experience Mm. uh hmm. still working through that but it was the lack of presentation of representation that really made that was the first time that i i felt like i didn't have anyone to Mm. relate to or to talk to and that's when other supports needed to come into play in that yeah. time of my life. So I always thought about that. And that kind of went into how I chose my profession in looking for someone that just kind of can relate to what you're feeling at the time. And so coming from that and just my cultural background, I want to be there for people that kind of went through the same things that I went through and having that support and someone that understands where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And moving forward. That's a huge piece. Like being able to relate to the people that you're helping it and them being able to relate back to you mm-hmm. is a feeling that's unmatched. <laughs> it is. And it's so hard to describe sometimes to people. But it's like if you are talking to someone who started off where you started mm-hmm. and to see how much they've grown. Yes. And then to, to think to yourself, I can do that, too. Mm. It's not impossible for me. People like me are also doing it. It's not just for white people or for whatever. Yeah, whatever it looks like. Exactly. But it's, I can do it too. They've been there and they can also grow from it. Yeah. Because not knocking the the roots because you don't, you don't ask where you started. But the fact that you can get to a higher platform 
Yeah, that it, it lets you know that it's possible. You're going to break all these ceilings. You know, and when you grow up and you don't see other people in spaces that look like you, you start to almost subconsciously feel like it's just not possible. Right. Yeah. So having that professional that can help you. I feel like my experience is what led me to even go this route. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing that somebody was in that profession that looked like me and seeing how it benefited me. I feel like even then when I didn't know it, that's probably what led me this way. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's amazing to see those things. Right. Um, so now bouncing off of that, you know, the, you're, you're in your professional career. You've been doing this for about five years, you say. So now do you see yourself branching out, doing different things, expanding your horizons as a social worker? You know, is, is, having your own practice or do you want to like be a professor or where do you see your social work career going? I would say that's twofold. I think I definitely want to branch out of the boxes that I'm in now. And I'm very grateful for the job that I've had the past quite a few years now. Mm. And I'm grateful for that groundwork, those experiences, because that's really what taught me how to be the social worker that I am now and the therapist. But Branching off of that to not necessarily do crisis work anymore, I think professionally and personally. That, <laughs> you need a little break from the crisis. You know? Because <laughs> when you're in it, you're in it, and you're mm. just in that mode. So to branch off and to grow and to kind of go into the direction of a private practice, but also not losing the other passions that I have. So being outside and incorporating nature into the therapeutic field and also mm. – doing this work, I've realized that I've connected the most with clients that suffer through trauma and working with them and building that relationship. And then thinking now of how can I put all of these passions that I have together? Because I love all of these things. I can bring it together. How am I going to do that? So I think that's kind of where my brain is going to now and brainstorming and how can we make this vision of reality? And we need to brainstorm a little bit more, but the foundation is there and I'm getting the credentials I need to get there. And I think mm. that's the important part. Cause now it's, we're still in the rut of, like I was explaining to you before, getting all the clinical hours and yeah. checking those boxes, but not forgetting what the vision is and what we're going to get yeah. to eventually. You always got to think with the vision in mind, you know, always little steps along the way, different formalities along the way, but you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And when you get there, you feel me? I need free counseling. But if you will work on the <laughs> business side of things, because that's what I'm learning now more than ever, of mm. to start your own private practice, it doesn't matter if you're the best therapist in the world. You need to be business savvy. And how do you create a workspace? How do you create uh, a payroll? Like all of these things yeah. that I never thought of before working at a bigger agency of, oh, now I'm in charge of this. You have to be all those. You have to be HR. You have to be management. You got to be the receptionist, everything. All of it. Yeah. And then that's where you come in, where we uh, have a <laughs> chit chat and we brainstorm. You know, and we talk it out and uh, we'll make it work. I'll give you a session, you know, <laughs> helping each other out. Oh, but. man. So um, we are, as we presently record this in the midst of a pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Uh, it's 2021, but looking back on 2020, it, it, that was that was quite the year for a lot of people. And it's mm-hmm. it's 
it feels like it's getting better. Maybe we're just looking at it different, but we're still in that same pandemic. We're it's adjusting, like, right? It's like 2020 part two. Um, <laughs> but Absolutely. do you see a change in how people are feeling the need for services and just I feel like everybody needs services now like the, the, the demand has increased have you seen that change in what you do right absolutely and in the sense of now everybody's home and a lot of the times before whether we wanted to uh, accept it or not we would have these issues that were happening and we were able to leave the home yeah ignore it for a little bit right and just kind of be in denial go about our day and come home and just not acknowledge what was right in front of us and that's happened to a lot of people and with this pandemic they've for the most part had to stay home and they're sitting with all of these issues with these people yeah all day every day and then everyone said we need to have a session (laughs) (laughs) this isn't it and a lot of crisis and just a lot of behaviors and a lot of parents that haven't been with their kid for yeah that long Exactly, because yeah. normally the kid is in school, and even in summertime, they'll go to a daycare or something. And I'm just talking about the population that I've been working with now in New Milford. That's what it's been looking like. And so mm. basically reintroducing their kids to these parents and how are you going to parent effectively and basically act as a parent. So it's been... <laughs> you got to teach them how to parent all over again kind of thing? Right, because now they have this kid that they're like, I have this kid all the time. And I said... Yes, you do. The only thing I knew how to do was check their homework and put them to sleep. Exactly. And they're like, (laughs) this is my kid. And honestly, it was reestablishing these relationships in the home. So, Mm. And then with other people that have, you know, that do suffer with mental health, uh, not having the support that they had before. So they were able to go and seek support from other people. And now they're home by themselves with their symptoms or whatever is going on. So That is very true. So many different issues have come up with COVID. Even with some of the people I work with, I've like that access to services that you mentioned. Like one of the first things I noticed that I never thought about, but you know, some of the clients we're bringing up is like, like Alcoholics Anonymous meetings mm-hmm. when, for a, a period of time were virtual. And it's like if I'm someone who's struggling with alcoholism or, or any form of like addiction. I kind of need people around me. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if I can just mm-hmm. FaceTime somebody and be like, hey, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Like, right. we're going to be all right. And then on the other side of the screen, the Hennessy is right there <laughs> or whatever you my know vice it. is. Like, mm-hmm. it's right there on the other side of the screen. Right. It's you can't just, separate from that situation. Yeah. Which used to be one of the biggest top coping skills. Remove yeah. yourself from the situation. Well, now you can't. So how are we going to manage? You're surrounded by everything all the time. And it's like, how do you live with you, but also live with the things around you that you just can't run from? Mm -hmm. That's that that that's a tough one. Um, Do you um, with with everything being telehealth now? Right. Do you see that a lot of your clients are struggling with that? Absolutely. And. (laughs) when it comes time to even having sessions and just having a place to have session where it's private Mm. because everyone's together. I never Um, even thought about that. There's not a lot of space. And then a lot of our clients, we work with four to 18 year olds. So it could branch. We can have these little, little kids. We can have these teenagers. These grown kids. (laughs) Yeah. And with these little kids, typically we'd come into their home and have therapy and we're able to be with them in the room and work with them and telehealth with a four year old is fascinating. If they leave the screen, 
yeah, you're, it's over. <laughs> yeah, I have to call mom or something, and that's if she picks up the phone. So it's just all these new barriers. That so when you're doing about. telehealth with a four-year-old, it's just the four-year-old on the phone? Like there's no one else? How does it, it should be with a parent to help gauge the situation and help us facilitate session, but a lot of parents are not present. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to imagine how effective that can be. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You're shaking your head. <laughs> it's not, which is why we're in a funny transition period now with trying to get back into the home just because the nature of our job, it's not conducive through telehealth. No, not at all. It's, it's like not. you have to be in that person's presence. Mm-hmm. You got to enter that person's space. And I just, yeah. I know even as a, you know, you're saying with the four year olds and, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. But even I could imagine myself as, being 18, you know, the, the, the top end of your client range. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine being 18 and really paying attention to, like, a therapist on a, a video call. Like, I, It's not the same. No. Like, I'm no. grateful that I've been able to keep my job, but it's so hard. And also, on both ends, for them to stay engaged and then for you, you have to be more engaging through the video. Like yeah. you, you turned into this YouTuber that you didn't think you were going to turn into because you're just trying to keep them hooked. Constantly on camera. Right. And it's so hard. It's one of the biggest barriers it's, it's that we didn't see coming. Oh, man. So with, with given uh, everything that's going on, and you mentioned that you, you like to connect with nature. So as far as like self-care options, what do you get into for self-care? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things that you can say. You get yeah. <laughs> well, that's a big thing, too, of, of how do people manage with stress in general and self-care and what does mm. that look like? Because you can do you can always go to avenues, which is one of my biggest kind of lessons when I'm having sessions with other people as well of how to cope with things and self-care of you can either do things for yourself that you love to do or you could numb it. So it depends mm. what avenue you want to go. And one is easier than the other, absolutely. But for me, I've had to really recalculate what self-care means for me. So I love to be out in nature, and I love it. And I just love to be on the top of a mountain because I feel in that situation that all of my problems are so small compared to everything that you're looking at. You're Mm. this one part of everything that's going on. Not to be like, (laughs) but you already knew it was coming. But you have to kind of think of your problems that way of it's just one part. It's not the mm. end of the world. We're going to get through it. And there's so many other things happening and you're part of something bigger anyways. Um, so that's one of my biggest self-care tips that I've been doing for myself. And then yeah. also chatting with someone myself, which has been the biggest okay. hurdle to go through. Because, again, you can either numb it or you can face the music. Yeah. And it's a lot easier and- to numb it. It's true. And some people are like, why don't you just, you should just do that. And it's like, I, you're right. I, you're not wrong. I could go that way. <laughs> it is so much easier than having to talk with someone and let it all out and face whatever is going on head on. And yeah. it's so tough in the moment. But afterwards, you're like, oh, I processed that. We, yeah. It's out there. I don't have to hold on to it anymore and just suppress it. Because that's what you're doing. You're just suppressing everything mm. at that point. Yeah. But it's absolutely harder said than done i can imagine <laughs> especially because yeah. once you have to like live it and process it it becomes real again 
because it's real in the moment you're experiencing whatever it is that that's triggering you or whatever the trauma is right but then if you can just ignore it it's like okay well i don't have to feel it anymore but then when you like but you never got over it Mm -hmm. and it's still affecting you in ways you may not know so then when it's time to like okay i gotta process this and let it out it's it's a lot it's It's (laughs) ugly before it gets better yeah for sure a lot of kleenex (laughs) it is and it's so many different emotions because it's you know whatever the trauma is so it's sadness it's a lot of anger just pent up Mm. and just going through the motions but once you go through it you will feel better but you have to put in work and that's one of the biggest things that i tell people it's yeah you're gonna have to it's a two-way street. It's not you're going to get there and it's all going to be solved. You need to work through it yourself. Mm. That's definitely something I think as one of my my goals for this year is to continue to work through things that are bothering me. Mm-hmm. That's definitely something I want to do because I feel like I've come a long way from a lot of things. Right. But there's still that residual where it's like, mm. You just, you just, it's still mm-hmm. there. It's still there. So yep. <laughs> there's a, there's a piece of me that's like, oh, well, Smitty, you might need to, you might need to go back round two and, and make that work again, figure right. that out and just process all of that. Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely want to do that. And then for anyone who is on the fence about, should I see somebody? Should I talk to somebody? You know, especially us being minorities, it's not necessarily something that is, uh, you know, talked about in our households. Mm-hmm. You know, I've met your family. You've met mine. It's it's <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> it's not Viv's first uh, option, right? No, there. no, it's absolutely not. It's not. not. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you say to that person who, like, they may be the first person in their family to ever even go seek counseling? Mm-hmm. You know, what would you say to that person? I would say that it's it's always difficult being the first one to do anything, whether it's go to college, graduate college seek therapy but it's a change in the cycle and it's a positive change and I think if you're already kind of thinking about it then that means it's you're getting to that time where you should kind of go forth with that Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of people don't even put it on their radar to to speak to someone or to seek help or you know if it's not therapy a support group or whatever that looks like for them and so if you're thinking about it, that already means that you're getting into that place where you're feeling comfortable enough to move forward with it. But knowing that you're never going to be a thousand percent comfortable. Yeah. And that's that's where the work comes in. It's definitely work. <laughs> it is. And then just finding someone that you click with because it might not be the first person mm. or the second person. And being able to find that pers- that therapist that fits your needs and challenges you just enough so for people that don't know so when you do find a therapist you 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 link up with services if you don't like the person that you're connected with you can change that person or you can try and find different therapists within whatever that group is absolutely Mm. which a lot of people don't think about when they start they're like Like, oh therapy's not for me and whenever they tell me that i always kind of counteract that with did you only try one person or how long did you give it because there's always that you know moment of time where you're building rapport but after some time you know if it jives or not yeah and if it doesn't you can always go somewhere else it's like sushi (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like sushi you know it's it's you gotta keep trying it until you really like it i i I hated sushi at first I, i tried it six times before i actually you gotta find the one that you like that's true. You got to okay. find a role that you like. All you right. feel me? For me, mm-hmm. it was the Rocky Hill role 
at Kama Sushi in Stratford. Shout out to them. You feel me? That Sponsor. was the one that did it. And um, in the sweet potato roll. At first, I thought everything had to be this nasty raw fish. And me being who I am, you got to cook something in my house if you're going to eat it. <laughs> but, I'm retired. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You just got to you got mm-hmm. you have to you have to find what works for you. You know, you can't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that is important to know for anyone who is on the fence listening to this and you're like, oh, maybe I want to do it. Maybe I don't do it. want to do it. And you've made it this far into the, to the episode, into the interview. Keep trying and you can find a different person. You can you can go to a whole different agency if you feel like you need to go to it's a different true. agency. Mm-hmm. And you can actually ask around, you know, if you want someone that kind of looks like you. Right. A lot of people don't know that. Um, they think that whoever they get, that's who they get. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're stuck with it for life, you know. But th- you have options in this field. You do, especially now that they have so many options. If you want to do person, telehealth, just the texting. There's all these different avenues with whatever you feel comfortable with, too. Yeah, yeah. And what works for you. Like, for me, it has to be in person. If not, same. it doesn't. It doesn't hit the same. So <laughs> it hits different. <laughs> it does. Then I play my games and they don't see what I'm actually doing. Aww. It's you know, but in person it's just that connecting with someone and they can see you and mm. And the emotions are a lot realer in person. They're a lot yep. realer. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta get up, you gotta pace a little bit, sit back yep. in the chair, the couch, whatever you got. You know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. So and especially other social workers out there because <laughs> that was one of the, my biggest hurdles was I'm helping people. I shouldn't have to get help mm. because then that's then am I yeah. not a good social worker because I can't handle it? Yeah. And then all of these voices going off. I have a friend that we were uh, we were having that conversation because he's also in the in the profession, mm-hmm. and we were both sitting there because he's like one of the people I can find and like I'll just pull up to his house. We'll sit in a car and talk all night. And those then, are the best. Those are the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he was like, "Yeah, bro, I." I need to find somebody. (laughs) This is just a lot. It's just a lot. So, you know, even those who, uh, you know, the same way a doctor needs a doctor. Absolutely. A a social worker Mm kind of needs a social worker, not just for whatever's going on in your own life, but also just everything that's going on at the job. It's it's a lot. (laughs) It's It's definitely a lot. So much. And it bleeds into other parts of your life too. Mm -hmm. If you don't tend to it. Yeah. So now, that's a perfect segue. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about bleeding into other parts of your life. Do you feel or have you experienced however you whatever angle you want to attack that question, this question from? Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like being a social worker has affected you in relationships, whether it be romantic relationships with your family, whoever it may be? Like, is it sometimes you don't turn the social work brain off or like you're mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're overanalyzing people? and you're... Guilty as charged in <laughs> all departments. <laughs> with my family, so background, I'm super close with my family. And that, I would say, is a coping skill all by itself because I can have the hardest week and just hanging out with them. That's all I need. Like, mm. I will laugh my face off and that's what I need. Uh, But sometimes if they call me during the week, I don't want to talk to them. I'm just in my social work space and I've just I've done so much that I don't have anything else to give sometimes. Uh, Say that again. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't want to talk. And it's not that I don't love you, but I just need to eat my dinner in silence with without the TV, without anything like just I need that. But sometimes Mm. they're like. 
You never pick up your phone. I remember. So <laughs> you don't love us anymore. It's over. And it's like, no, I love you. I will chat with you on Friday afternoon. Uh, and as far as romantic relationships as well of where does the venting happen and how mm. much do they understand about what's going on and how much do I tell them? Because uh, it's a lot. If someone threw that at me or everything that I want to vent, I said that would be a lot, especially for someone <laughs> if you're with someone who's not necessarily also in the field. Of, yeah. Are they going to understand exactly where I'm coming from mm. and how do I want them to respond? It's a whole uh, path that I'm still trying to navigate. Yeah, because you don't want to like scare that person off and they're like, this person's somewhere, somewhere <laughs> with this person or like, I don't, I don't want to with, scare you know? people. And it's, it's the hard. So what can I say? When can I say when it, you know, exactly what's too much? What's not. Yeah. Still navigating that. It's definitely a, it's definitely a journey. Mm-hmm. And when to turn it off, because then you're having an argument or a discussion, one would say, with someone <laughs> and this, it's coming out like, all the therapeutic talk is is spewing out, and they're like, "Don't do that." It's all coming out again, and you're start using some big words, and I was like, oh, "You better reframe that to, statement." And then that's <laughs> you think you're better than me because you all know of it words. comes out. And I said, "Okay," but that's when I need to check myself and mm-hmm. make sure that I'm not letting it bleed out. Take that step back. Yes, and if someone reminds me of not ignoring that and saying if other people can see it it's really happy it's it's not just you like take a a step back i i I like to say that to people and even in saying that to people it's still Mm -hmm. hard to accept that you know but if multiple people are saying it and they're close enough to really know you and observe that about you Mm -hmm. it's it's probably true there's probably something about you that you there's there's a character flaw there that you gotta you gotta address man you gotta Mm -hmm. address it that's a a whole separate that's a whole episode there's definitely social work and relationships social work and relationships man because even before we were talking about love languages before we started the interview right always gotta whip it out (laughs) that even for myself was something that like i was telling you before was a challenge for me because like my girlfriend's one of her biggest love languages is physical touch and mm-hmm. I do not like to be touched like at all mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. don't touch me don't come in my bubble I like my personal space right like even sharing a bed I don't like like if the bed could be big enough that we could both be in it you and want I don't a California necessi- side. yeah and yeah. I don't necessarily know you're next to me but like I know you're next to me mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm cool with that right that's how much personal space I really like but then it, it you know you still have to cater to that person's love language because that's how they process love. And that that's unto itself is like, wow, okay, <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's a whole, like I said, it all goes back to the work because you can just dismiss it and say you're not going to figure out their language and you're going to keep doing what suits you. Yeah. And then it goes to how much do you care about them that you're able to take the time and sometimes you're going to have to readjust a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's a big task all by itself yeah you gotta come in and put the put the work in it's true but i didn't realize the love language part because before i was not a physical touch person but when i started this job when i come home i don't want to talk anymore Mm -hmm. so then it kind of evolved into i just want like i want something and i wasn't like that before and that's definitely different for you it 
This is Sarah 2.0. <laughs> when I met you, you did not want to be hugged by anybody. Nope. You I, would make faces. <laughs> like, it just looked like it was painful for it somebody. It really to hug was. You. I was not. And then now, that's all I want. And I had to kind of sit with that. And I said, why? And that's why like, I don't want to talk. Who am I turning into? Growing up? Yikes. <laughs> So but, as you're growing up, yeah. do you feel like you're uh, growing into the best version of yourself? Do you f- Did you see yourself becoming this Sarah way back then when we met? No. I thought I was going to stay in my shell. Absolutely. Mm. And growing and moving. And the way that I've evolved was through meeting new people and having, you know, new friends and new coworkers challenge me in ways that I didn't think I was ever going to be challenged. Yeah. And it kind of started off with us in senior you know, year in and the it, back of my mind i was gonna say it <laughs> it started if i'm gonna go back if we're gonna do this session now it's kind of stems from that of mm. you got it in you you have opinions in there you can say them it's i don't know what i was nervous about but yeah that's it's changed a lot but it happened through people kind of entering my life and challenging me in those ways because i don't think i would have done it on my own i would have wanted to but you wouldn't have had the, the push to go do that. I need to be challenged sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> the, little, the little nudge. And then from now, knowing that I can get to this place of who am I comparing myself to? I'm just trying to be better than the last version of myself mm. and not comparing myself to anybody else in the room but yourself or myself. Yeah, because that comparison will drive you crazy. Absolutely, which a lot of people I feel like suffer with social media and all of that. But for me, I'm just trying to be better than who I was yesterday. Mm. And there's so much work to do. But if I have that mindset, we're we're going places. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So mm-hmm. as we, we, we begin to wrap this interview up and bring it to the close, the last thing I want to ask you, and I, I've, I've asked other people this before, what would you tell a younger Sarah? That you wish you knew before, that you know now. Ooh, there's uh-huh. so many directions we can go with that one. <laughs> Honestly, I think it would go back to being comfortable with yourself. And I always didn't like the fact that I was a little different than everyone else mm. in all different facets and all different departments. I always felt a little different and I... I felt like I never fit in anywhere, whether it was in the Bronx, whether it was here, whether I was always a little off. And I was always nervous about that and nervous to just let myself be who I am. And then Sarah now, like I just it is what it is like. This is it. This is you. Yeah. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. And so I would tell her to stop worrying so much because I I mean, I still worry a lot, but it's different now. Yeah. It's not to the degree that I did when I was younger. So telling her. And I think a lot of people say that, but you're going to make it. You're, it's going to be OK. You're, yeah. There's just, light at the yeah. end, but you got to keep going and having that confidence. And that darn word follows me all the time. What, confidence? Yeah. Because I was always, you know, in the report cards that your teachers would put the comments. Sarah's <laughs> great, but she should have more confidence. And yeah. Because she's she knows everything. She reads a lot. She knows. But she needs to let other people know. So mm. Sarah, speak up. People will listen. So 
That's what I would tell her. Sound like the title of a podcast, man. Sarah, Listen. speak up. <laughs> Put it I'll up take in the this air. microphone right now. All right, maybe not this okay, one. I'm we'll sorry. get you okay. home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah, again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being you. And this was a great interview. I appreciate you coming down and, and being here, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank, I want to, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I, off the record, I've told you as well, but this is so amazing what you're doing. And I'm so happy that you're doing it. I'm grateful for it. Like, I look forward to episodes because <laughs> I need that. It's so, it's such a great concept. And it's, I love how you bring people that are in your life and you bring them into this space and let them share their thoughts and their experiences because it really does, even though it's from all different, you know, avenues and yeah. different departments, it all comes together and it all makes up what we're doing and what we're talking about. So you're going to go so far. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm strapped in for the ride. So oh, thank man. you. Thank you. I know you can't see it, but I, I'm blushing underneath well, all this, it's, under it's all this melanin. The blush is I was there. nervous. The first female. It's a lot. We'll see. I'm excited to see what other females you bring on too. Yeah, we got a lot coming. I have another interview lined up in a couple of days. That's going to be a dope one. So uh, I'm excited, man. But thank you again for being here. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, this is Daily Dimensions. 